Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for your Bible, another opportunity to study your Bible, to learn, to grow, to be encouraged, Father, through the scriptures. I pray, Father, that as we continue going through the book of Acts and studying the life of the great Apostle Paul, that we will be encouraged and inspired to be the kind of people who are willing to go after the lost like he did in his time. Father, bless us to always be the kind of people who are not ashamed of your gospel and are willing to shine our lights and share your word with as many people as possible, no matter what tribulations or problems we may have in our lives. Bless this study, Father. Let it be to your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, dear friends. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to another Bible class video. We are making our way through Acts as we are studying the ministry or the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And so please get out your Bible. I want to ask you to go over into the book of Acts. Please go to Acts chapter 20. We want to pick up right where we left off in Acts chapter 20, verse number 17. Please go in your Bible to Acts 20, verse 17. Remember, there are outlines with questions uh, for you to fill out and will help you help you hopefully retain the information as we navigate our way through this material. In our last Bible class video, if you recall, we traveled with the Apostle Paul on his third and final missionary journey. We traveled with Paul from Antioch of Syria back through Cilicia, and we saw him revisit many of the churches that he had planted on his first missionary journey, churches in Lystra, Derby, Iconium, the city in Antioch. We went with him to Ephesus. He preached the gospel in Ephesus. We then went with him to Troas, to Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, went with him to Corinth. Paul was supposed to, or he intended originally, to travel across the Mediterranean Sea, probably back to Antioch of Syria, but due to an assassination attempt on his life, he retraces his steps. He goes back through Macedonia. He goes back to Troas. And eventually, after going through Mytilene and Chios and Samos, or Samos, he makes his way to Miletus. Now, I want you to keep in mind that at this point, at this particular point in Paul's preaching, in his missionary journeys, he's not intending to go back to Antioch of Syria. Instead, at this point, he is on a mission to get to Jerusalem. He's on a mission to get to Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. He wants to obviously preach the gospel to Jews who are not Christians on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem at that time would have had well over a million Jews in it. But beyond doing evangelism in Jerusalem, another main reason why Paul is on a mission to get to this city is because, if you recall, he has this contribution or this, or this gift to the needy saints there. He has urged the predominantly Gentile churches in Achaia and Macedonia to have funds ready for him to pick up 
and to deliver to the needy Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And so Paul is on his way to Jerusalem to give relief to the saints there who are struggling because of a famine. Now, where we left off last time in our study, we stopped at Acts 20, verse 17. In Acts 20, verse 17, we find the Apostle Paul in Miletus. He's about to hop on a ship that will take him, that will take him to Jerusalem. But before he sails from Miletus, he first calls for the elders of the Ephesian church. This is the same church that he spent three years with. So he had a close relationship with his brethren. He had a close relationship with the elders or the shepherds or the bishops or the pastors. All these are synonymous terms. Paul had a close relationship with the leaders of this church. So let's consider what Paul had to say to the leaders of the Ephesian church. Will you read with me the scriptures? Look at Acts 20. We'll start reading with verse number 17. Verse 17 says, From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul knows he's going to suffer in Jerusalem. But I do not consider my life, uh, my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in ministry, which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from, um, and from among on your, your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this matter, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt, knelt down and prayed with them, 
and they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face, see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. I want to highlight, and we don't have enough time to dissect every part of this chapter. I wish we did, but unfortunately we don't. But this is a very powerful speech or address that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. And I just want to highlight a few of the things that Paul says in this address. First, I want you to notice how in verses 18 through 19, as Paul speaks to these elders for the last time before heading to Jerusalem, he talks about his service to them. He talks about how he was, how when he was with them, he served the Lord and he served them with humility. He put them and he put their needs before his own needs. He was humble, not arrogant before them. And he served them with tears, with literal tears, with care, with concern, with trials, with persecutions that came upon him through the Jews. Paul says that he labored diligently among these elders and among the brethren that made up this church. He says in verse number 20 and also in verse number 27 that he declared to them the whole counsel of God. In other words, he preached to them the full and complete word of God. He told them everything that the Lord wanted them to know. He did this publicly. He did this from house to house. He gave them the inspired truth. He gave them the word of God. He rebuked them. He exhorted them. He reproved them. He did exactly what a preacher or an evangelist is to do. He accomplished his, his mission in preaching. He declared not just some of the counsel of God, but he gave them the whole counsel of God. He gave them a balanced diet of the scriptures. He also urges them in this address to make sure they do their job as elders or as pastors. He says, you shepherd the flock of God. The idea of shepherding the flock of God, and Peter uses similar language in 1 Peter chapter 5 when addressing elders in that passage. But the idea of shepherding the flock of God means to nurture the flock, care for the flock, feed the flock the word of God, protect the flock, protect the flock from the wolves, protect the flock from the false teachers. Paul told these elders to shepherd the flock to be overseers of the local flock in Ephesus, to make sure that they gave the flock the truth, that they guarded the flock with every ounce of their being because there was going to come a time when false teachers were going to come among the flock. Wolves were going to come among the flock. In fact, Paul even says that some of the wolves would come from the eldership of that church. Paul says, shepherd the flock, watch over the flock, protect them from the false teachers. Because some of the false teachers are going to come from among your own selves. Paul also tells them to be on the alert. Be watchful. Be watchful for yourselves. Be watchful for the flock. Paul says that for three years, I was with you with tears. I care about your future. I care about your progress. I want you to be successful in the cause of God. And a lot of this is going to depend on how you lead 
the people of God here in Ephesus. That's what Paul tells these elders. Now, go back and read this when you have some time, this section again, because this is a very emotional moment in Paul's ministry. Paul and, and these elders are near a ship, near the sea. Paul is addressing them. He's pouring his heart out to them. After Paul finishes this powerful address, they cry together, they pray together, they hug, they kiss Paul on his cheek numerous times. They're grieved because Paul says some bad stuff is going to happen to them in Jerusalem, to him in Jerusalem, and they won't see him again. These people are close friends. They are a spiritual family. Paul cares about them, and they care about Paul. This is a very emotional moment in Acts chapter 20. And so after talking with the elders at Ephesus, Paul sails from Miletus, and the scripture says in Acts 21, go ahead and go to Acts 21, that after Paul leaves Miletus, he travels through Kos and Rhodes and Patara. After getting in or arriving in Patara, he evidently appears to have switched ships. He maybe gets on a larger boat or a larger ship, and he travels 350 to 400 miles across the Sea of Tyre, across the Sea of the Mediterranean Sea, I'm sorry, to Tyre of Syria. So he travels from Patara across the sea to Tyre of Syria. Please make sure you get a map in front of you so you can see where these places are, okay? Paul arrives in Tyre of Syria. And once he arrives in Tyre, he then travels, probably on foot, down to Caesarea Maritima. Do you remember that city from our lessons called Jesus Walks? Remember Caesarea Maritima was where Herod took up much of his, much of his residence, much of his residency was in, was in Caesarea Maritima. He had a palace in Caesarea Maritima, Cornelius was from Caesarea Maritima, the Cornelius of Acts 10. And so Paul arrives in Caesarea, and the scripture says that he stays with Philip the Evangelist. Do you remember Philip the Evangelist? You remember him? I hope you do, because this is the same Philip of Acts chapter 6. He was one of the seven men to appoint it who was appointed to be a deacon in the church of Jerusalem. He was one of seven men who was put over the work of taking care of the needy widows in that church. He's also the same Philip of Acts chapter 8. He's the same Philip who, after he was forced out of Jerusalem because of persecution, that was led by Paul at the time, ironically, he leaves Jerusalem, he goes and preaches the gospel to the people of Samaria. He then also preaches the gospel of the Simon the Sorcerer. He also preaches the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. This is the same Philip who converts the Samaritans and Simon the Sorcerer and the Ethiopian eunuch. At this point, he is doing local work in Caesarea. He lives in Caesarea and he has four virgin daughters who have miraculous spiritual gifts. They are prophetesses. The scripture says, when Paul arrives in Caesarea, he stays with Philip and Philip's four daughters. 
And eventually, a prophet from Judea comes down from Judea, from Jerusalem, to Caesarea Maritima. This prophet's name was Agabus. And Agabus prophesied about how Paul would be bound by the Jews in Jerusalem and handed over to the Gentiles. Paul already knew this because the Holy Spirit had already told him this. Remember, he made this point to the Ephesian elders. He already knew that bad things were waiting for him in Jerusalem. Well, Agabus shows up. He's a prophet, and he confirms this to be so. He says that bad things await Paul in Jerusalem. When Paul gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound by the Jews. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. That's a reference to the Romans. The brethren there in Caesarea begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They loved Paul, and they didn't want him to go to Jerusalem and experience these bad things. But Paul, being the man that he was, he was determined to proceed. And Acts 21 and verse number 13, Paul says, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, I'm not only prepared to, to be imprisoned in Jerusalem, I'll die. I'm willing to die for Jesus in Jerusalem. That's the kind of man Paul was. He was, that's how devoted he was to Jesus. He was willing to die for Jesus in Jerusalem. Verse 14 says, and since he would not be persuaded, we, Luke says, we fell silent. Luke is with Paul, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. And so Paul proceeds to Jerusalem, despite the information that the prophet Agabus revealed Paul travels 60 to 65 miles from Caesarea to Jerusalem. He goes up to Jerusalem. Even though Caesarea is technically north of Jerusalem, Paul would go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is 2,400 feet above sea level. So he goes up to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, the brethren there, James, and this is not the Apostle James. The Apostle James dies back in Acts chapter 12. Herod cuts his head off. The apostle James is the first of the apostles to be killed for the cause of Christ. We read about that in the scripture. The James that is mentioned here is James the Lord's brother. James the Lord's half-brother. Once Paul arrives in Jerusalem, James and the elders and the brethren there, they welcome and receive him gladly. Paul has shown up. He's got this contribution for the needy saints. He delivers the relief to, to the saints there. Paul also tells them about all the work that had been done among the Gentiles. He tells them about how God has used him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and how the Gentiles are entering or being grafted into the kingdom of God. Paul talks about how the Gentiles or receiving the wonderful gift of salvation, they're entering or being adopted into the family of God. And once these Jewish Christians, James and the elders of the Jerusalem church, hear this news, they rejoice. They glorify God. However, they also talk to Paul about a problem. There's a problem they want Paul to know about. The elders 
of the church there in Jerusalem told Paul about the many thousands of Jews who have obeyed the gospel, they've also entered into the kingdom of God, yet they are zealous for the law of Moses. Keep in mind, the law of Moses not only influenced or dictated the Jews in a religious sense prior to the time of the gospel, but even after the time of, uh, of the institution of the new covenant and the gospel age, the law of Moses influenced the Jews in a civil way as well. It was part of their natural way of life. So it influenced them religiously and civilly. That's important to understand. And the, and the elders in James talk with Paul about how even though many Jews are obeying the gospel, they're still zealous about the law of Moses. They're telling him about this because evidently there were some people, some Jews who were suggesting that Paul was teaching the Jews not to circumcise their sons and keep the customs. I emphasize the word customs, the customs of the law of Moses. James and the elders say, Paul, there's a problem. Some people are saying that you're teaching the Jews who are now Christians, that it is wrong for them to keep the customs of the law of Moses. You're wrong. You're, 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 they're saying that you're wrong for saying that, that the Jews should not even circumcise their sons anymore. You're saying the Jews shouldn't keep the customs of the law. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not what Paul taught. Paul didn't teach that. Paul did not teach the Jews that it was a sin for them to circumcise their sons, even as Christians. He did not teach the Jews that it was wrong for them to keep the customs of the law of Moses. He never forbade Jews from keeping the customs of the law. Instead, what Paul taught, what he taught against was being justified by the law of Moses. Paul taught both Jew and Gentile that the law of Moses it's not the system of justification. It is not the law by which you will receive God's forgiveness and be saved. Instead, you need to submit to the gospel of Christ. You need, to, you need to submit yourself to the new covenant or the New Testament law of Christ. That's what Paul taught. He taught against circumcision for the purpose of justification. He did not teach against circumcision as far as keeping it as a custom. Galatians 5 and verse 4, Paul says that if you try to live by the law, if you're a Christian, you've fallen from grace. If you're trying to be justified by the law. Romans 7 and verse 6, Paul says that, that Christians have, have died to the law. We've died to that old law. Much of Paul's teaching in the New Testament has to do with the fact that People are not justified by the law anymore. Christians are not justified by the law. The law was done away with when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Paul taught that in Colossians chapter 2. He emphasizes this in Galatians, Romans, Ephesians, 2 Corinthians, the Hebrew writer. This is his whole point in the book of Hebrews. Again, Paul never forbade Jews from keeping the customs of the law. That includes 
the custom of circumcision, what Paul taught against was, was being justified, being saved by the law. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Since Jesus has died on the cross, we're justified by faith in Christ, not by the law. And so this was a lie being spread by Paul, by, about Paul. James and the elders had a recommendation to help solve this issue. They recommended Paul take action by keeping a vow, probably the Nazarite vow. You can read about that in Numbers 6, Numbers chapter 6. This, was, this would require Paul uh, paying, uh, paying some money, uh, getting his head shaved, going through a process of purification, paying some expenses at the temple. They recommended that Paul keep a vow with four other men. This would demonstrate that he was not teaching against keeping the customs of the law. Paul's vow required him and his companions to stay at the temple for seven days. Paul agreed to participate in this, and I think he gives us hints throughout his letters as to why he does this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 20, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 20, Paul says to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, not being myself under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. Here, Paul is becoming all things to all men. He is submitting himself to a Jewish custom so that he can have influence among the Jews and be able to teach them about the system of justification by faith in Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 9. He does this with Timothy in Acts 16 and verse 3. Remember, before having Timothy join him on his second missionary journey, he has Timothy circumcised because Timothy's half Jewish. He has Timothy circumcised so he can have influence among the Jews that they preach to. So Paul agrees to participate not because he's seeking to be justified by the law, not because the law of Moses is still in force at this time. The law was nailed to the cross. No, Paul is participating in this, in this vow because he's thinking about winning Jews. He's becoming a Jew as far as the custom goes so he can have influence among, the pe among these people. Now, this was happening close to the time of Pentecost. Remember, we pointed that out. So Jerusalem was filled with Jews from all across the world. Maybe at least a million Jews would have been in Jerusalem at this time. And some Jews from Asia recognized Paul. They recognized him when he was in the temple, and they falsely charged him with bringing a Gentile, the Ephesian Trophimus, who was with Paul, but Paul didn't bring him in the temple. But these people who were enemies of Paul, who recognized him, they falsely charged him with bringing Trophimus in the temple. Paul was innocent of this. Paul didn't do this. But they were looking to get Paul on anything. These Jews in Jerusalem knew about Paul's teaching. They knew what he stood for. And a riot ensues. And they grab Paul and they start beating him. They start hurting Paul, bringing physical pain upon him. And a Roman commander, a Roman commander there saves Paul's life by arresting him. Now, after Paul identifies himself, 
as a Jew from Tarsus, some things get very interesting. You see, the Roman commander who takes Paul, who bounds Paul and, and arrests him, who takes Paul into custody, he has no idea who Paul is, and he has no idea why the Jews want to kill him. He's totally confused about why this riot got started. He thought Paul might have been this Egyptian who not long ago had caused a, a rebellion among the Jewish people. Paul makes it clear that, that he's not that guy, and one of the reasons why this Roman commander could see that clearly is because Paul could speak Greek. He could speak, speak the Greek language. And after Paul, after that, Paul identifies his citizenship from Tarsus. He says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. And then Paul requests permission to speak to the crowd. He asked the commander if he could address this crowd that hates him so much. And he's granted permission by the commander. And Paul begins to speak to the crowd in the Hebrew dialect. Now, go to Acts 22. So Acts 21. In Acts 21, we find Paul arriving in Jerusalem. And now he's been falsely accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple. The Holy Spirit's words have come to pass. Paul has been bound. and He's been handed over to the Gentiles. Now, in Acts 22, we find Paul's address to the crowd that hated him. I want to suggest that it is amazing that Paul even wants to talk to these people. I mean, think about it. These are the people who have just finished beating him. They want him dead. They have bound him up, falsely accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. These people hate Paul, and yet he wants to say some things to them. He actually wants to address the crowd that hates him. The question is, what does Paul say to them? Well, first, notice again how in verse number two, the scripture says that when Paul talked to these people, he didn't speak to them in the Greek language. Instead, he spoke to them in their ancestral language, the Hebrew dialect. He spoke to them in the language of the Jews. He spoke of his heritage. He spoke of how he was born he was a Jew born in Tarsus. He says, even though he's a Jew, he's not from Jerusalem. He says, I'm from Tarsus of Cilicia. He talks about how he was educated under Gamaliel. That was a big deal. Gamaliel was one of the most well-known Jewish teachers in the first century. Paul was trained to be a Pharisee under the tutelage of Gamaliel. Everybody there would have known who Gamaliel was. He says that, he was brought up under strict instruction concerning the law of Moses. The Pharisees were known for this. The Pharisees were known for being very conservative, for being very strict when it came to keeping the law of Moses. Paul tells the crowd about that. He also spoke about his zeal for God. He says that I was zealous under under the tutelage of Gamaliel. I was zealous under the law. I was zealous as a Pharisee. In fact, I was so zealous that I at one time persecuted the church. I at one time persecuted Christians. I 
went into the homes of, of Christians and I drug them out of their homes and I, and I locked them up. I consented to the death of a Christian named Stephen. Paul talks about how he at one time persecuted the church. He then spoke about his experience on the Damascus Road. He tells the crowd about how he, when he was traveling to Damascus in an effort to lock up as many Christians as he could, he heard and he saw Jesus. He heard and he saw the very Son of God. He saw the resurrected Savior. And after that experience, he was blinded for three days. He also points out how eventually the Lord sent Ananias to him. And Ananias gave him his sight back by the power of God. And Ananias told him in Acts 22 and verse 16, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Having your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul also talks about how the Lord made him a witness of his resurrection to all men, both Jews and Gentiles. Paul talks about his experience, his miraculous experience on the Damascus Road, and he concludes this speech, his defense, by explaining his work among the Gentiles. He says that sometime after his conversion, when he had returned to Jerusalem and while in the temple, the Lord came to him and said, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they, the Jews, will not accept your testimony about me. Jesus told him, get out of Jerusalem because the Jews are not going to believe what you say about me. Paul was confused about this message. He was confused because for a time in his life, he had great influence among the Jews. The Jews knew Paul. They knew how he had persecuted the church. They knew how zealous he was about the law of Moses. He was confused when the Lord told him that the Jews were going to hate him and want to kill him because he now preached the gospel. But he listened to the Lord because the Lord told him, I want you to get out of here because I'm going to send you to some people who will listen to your message. In verse 21 of Acts 22, Jesus told him, go, for I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles, not to the Jews here in Jerusalem. I'm going to use you to bring Gentiles into the kingdom. So Paul is telling these Jewish people who hate him right now in Jerusalem near the day of Pentecost that he was given a special ministry to the Gentiles and that part of the message really got them mad. They were furious when Paul talked about preaching to the Gentiles. This is similar to what happened to Jesus in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, when in a synagogue of the Jews, Jesus talked about how he had come into the world to also bring blessings to the Gentiles. That made his Jewish audience so upset that they tried to throw him off of a cliff in the city of Nazareth, the city that he grew up in. Well, here in, in Acts 22, Paul's also talking about helping Gentiles, bringing spiritual blessings to Gentiles, and the Jews did not like that message at all. They said, this man needs to die. We need to do away with the man like this who's talking about helping Gentiles. And so a riot ensues again, and the Roman commander could not understand what was going on since he could not probably speak the Hebrew language. He didn't know what they were saying. 
He didn't understand why they were demanding Paul's death, and so he commanded that Paul be scourged. He commanded that Paul be taken and be severely beaten. Why did he want Paul beaten? Well, because during this time, in the time of the Roman Empire, in the time of the first century, scourging was the method used to get information out of people. The commander felt that if he had Paul beaten, he would then be able to find out What's going on here? He wants to get to the bottom as to why these people hate Paul so much. So he commands Paul to be scourged to get information, but his plan is halted. It is put off when he finds out that Paul is a Roman citizen. You see, under Roman law, somebody like Paul, a man who had acquired Roman citizenship, he could not be scourged lawfully until he was first found guilty of a crime. And since Paul had not been lawfully found guilty of a crime, they could not scourge Paul legally. And so the next day, in an effort to still try to try to get to the bottom of what's going on here, the commander is going to give Paul an opportunity to stand before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. Maybe that will help, help the commander get some answers as to what's going on here and why these people hate Paul so much. And so that brings us to the last chapter I want to talk about in this video, Acts 23. Then we're going to close, Acts 23. When Paul stands before the Sanhedrin council, okay, the first thing he talks with them about is he talks with them about how he had lived his life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. He talks about how his conscience was pure, it was, it was right, it was good. He had a good conscience before God. This evidently made the high priest very upset, and the high priest had Paul struck in the mouth. He had him hit right in his mouth. And Paul, in verse number three of that chapter, he calls the high priest a white, white, whitewashed wall. He said, Do you sit to try to do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law, order me to be struck? He called him a whitewashed wall. Paul takes up for himself. He, def he defends himself. And the people say to Paul, well, how, how dare you talk to the high priest like that? And in verse 5, Paul says, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you should not speak evil of the rule of your people. Now, there are a couple of ideas there that I want to suggest to you. You make up your own mind as to how you feel about this. Paul could have honestly not been aware that he had talk that way to the high priest. That's very likely. And so Paul feels a little embarrassed that he got an attitude with the high priest. It also could be that Paul is being sarcastic here because I'm pretty sure that Paul being a Pharisee, someone who's very zealous about the law, he knows who the high priest is at this time. He knows how the high priest looks. He knows the real name of the high priest. The high priest probably has some special clothes on that distinguishes him from everybody else on the council. So Paul may be being sarcastic here as well. Regardless, the high priest has Paul struck in the mouth. And Paul takes up for himself. And he seems to have been a little bit embarrassed or ashamed that he had got an attitude with the high priest. Maybe he was maybe he legitimately felt that way, or maybe he's just being sarcastic. Hard to know for sure. 
But since Paul knew he wasn't going to get a fair hearing, and he wasn't, he decided to divide the council. He divides the council on his belief of the resurrection. You see, the Jews were divided on the resurrection. The Pharisees, and Paul was a Pharisee for a time, they believed in the resurrection. They believed in life after death. They believed the dead were going to one day going to be raised. They believed in angels. They believed all that stuff. But the Sadducees, they did not believe those things. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in life after death. And so Paul brings up his belief in the resurrection of the dead. He says, I'm here because I preach the resurrection. And once Paul brings up the resurrection, the council is divided. The Pharisees say, well, maybe we're doing the wrong thing with this guy. He might be a messenger of God. The Sadducees don't want to hear it. And so Paul tactfully or wisely divides the council on the issue of the resurrection. This was a key point of contention among the Jews. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul in a vision. He told Paul to take courage. He told Paul that I'm with you. You take courage. I'm going to use you for some very important purposes. In verses 12 through 14, the scriptures tell us that after the Lord appeared to Paul to encourage him, the Jews made an oath to kill Paul. They made an oath not to eat or drink anything until they had done away with Paul. That's how much they hated him. But interestingly, their, their, interestingly enough, their plan, was, their plan to ambush and kill Paul was going to be overheard by somebody that Paul was related to. You see, Paul's nephew learns of this plot. He learns of the Jews' plot to ambush Paul as he makes his way to another trial before the Sanhedrin. And so Paul's nephew, this is Paul's sister's son, this is the only time in the Bible where Paul's family is mentioned, his physical family. And so Paul's nephew learns of this plot. He tells it to Paul, and Paul has him tell it to the commander. And so this is a great example of the providence of God. This is God working not miraculously, but naturally through natural means to save Paul's life. Paul's nephew saved his life. Had Paul's nephew not overheard this plot and had, not, had he not also told somebody about it, Paul would have been killed. And so Paul's nephew saves his life. He tells the commander about this plot to ambush and kill Paul as he makes his way to trial. And that night the commander gathered 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen he instructed these men to take Paul to Caesarea. That's Caesarea Maritima. The commander also sent a letter to Felix. This is the governor of Caesarea explaining why Paul was in prison. It was because the Jews had some accusations against him, but he could find no guilt in Paul. Once Paul arrived in Caesarea Maritima, he was promised a hearing once his accusers from Judea or Jerusalem, arrived. And Paul was kept in Herod's praetorium. Now, Paul's going to be in Caesarea Maritima about two years. He's going to be here a while. But when we get to Acts 24, we're going to read about his defense before the governor Felix. 
This is a very interesting defense and very interesting conversation that he's going to have with Felix. Paul's going to talk with Felix. Eventually, he's going to talk to Festus, King Agrippa. He's going to talk to a lot of important politicians before finally appealing his case to Caesar and making his way to Rome. Now, I know this was a lot to digest in one video, but notice again how Paul is going through so much in the first century for the cause of Christ. After sailing from Miletus, he arrives in Jerusalem with this contribution for the needy saints. He goes through this process of keeping a custom of the law of Moses for the sake of influence among the Jews. He's then falsely accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple, and he's arrested, he's beaten, he's questioned by the Romans, he's questioned by the Jewish Sanhedrin council, but due to an assassination attempt on his life that thankfully was overheard by his nephew, Paul, is sent to Caesarea Maritima for his protection. And so we'll pick up there in our next video on the Lord's Day, Acts 24. We're going to read about what happened to Paul when he makes his way to Caesarea Maritima, and he's going to speak to the governor, Felix. Thank you for your attention and you studying with me tonight.